All right, and that was uh, Esther that just said hello before I hit the record button. So, well, let's uh, go to our Heavenly Father in prayer, and we'll get underway. Russell will get in here when he gets in, and we'll see who else will be uh, hooking up yet tonight. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the promise that you've given us. Wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you're there in our midst. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the blessings that you continue to provide in spite of ourselves, Father, and our our wicked and slothful ways of our our leaders today in America. Certainly, uh, Trevor comes from a place in California where leadership there has tremendously destroyed much of the of the state there. And wherever we come down, Father, we need to come down on your side, which is that your will be done in the creation, that you commissioned your people to do something in the creation, to carry out your will, your plan, but Father, we ask that you be with us tonight as we begin to search through your word and search through the scriptures and come to a greater understanding of what it is that plan is and how you intended to carry it out and what it is that our obligations are still under it and towards you. But Father, we ask that you continue to teach and show each and every one of us and pray, Father, that you're your spirit be with me and the things that I'm intending to bring out for tonight as well and those that bring additional topics here in the future that we, we put under discussion. So, Father, that's our prayer. We stand firmly upon it, knowing that you are already activating in the heavens those things that will bring about the prayer of our request because we know it is within your will that we should be abiding in your word. And so with that, Father... We're confident that our prayer stands answered and you stand ready to assist and ready to guide our thoughts. We ask these things in the blessed holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we have, as I started to let Trevor know, so I know everybody else kind of knows where we're at. And Esther, you may have some questions and stuff too, or you may have some things that you've come up with. Uh, but um, before we do that, I am ready to get into the Romans, the Book of Romans aspect, and make the connection. I explained to Trevor a little bit where we've been in this fellowship study. And so what I guess that... Um, you know, I'm prepared to do is go ahead and get into the book of Romans where we are trying to address this Israel of the Old Testament as being Israel in the New Testament, not some spiritualized, you know, Israel, that there is and was a physical plan that God had put in motion that he had commissioned the people under, his people called Israel, and that he still was dealing with them. Um, And certainly the apostles, after the death, burial, and resurrection, were still reaching out to them. And it's a very important part, because the church world has basically told us that, you know, Israel amalgamated with all the other nations and went out of existence, and basically anybody who believes Jesus Christ or believes on him is a spiritual Israelite. And... um, I'm not going to contest that somebody who does believe in Christ and has been baptized for the remission of sins does not 
acquire the salvation that the Bible speaks of. I'm not here to attest that that does not occur. Um, but again, there's, there's proper information that we all have to know and share with others, and that is believing is one part of it. Baptism for the remission of sins is the other. And that, therefore, then is supposed to uh, put you in the proper context, in the proper heart spirit, that you can walk with Christ, to walk under the direction that he's given, to emulate that which he told us to be, and doing righteously and so forth. And then we can expect that he will recognize those things in which we have done, not being saved by works, but being saved by grace, as was Abraham from the beginning. But it's a, uh, again, it's, there's a heart condition involved. That's why he said he would circumcise their hearts. That's why he asked Israel to circumcise their hearts in the Old Testament. It wasn't a physical circumcision of the flesh that was required it was mandated for them, but they didn't abide in it, and they didn't abide in his word. So he's really seeking for people that want to abide in his will and his ways in the heart, and that's always what he's been seeking. So hopefully that will kind of set that properly for anybody that uh, maybe uh, – you know, thinks that there's something being pushed here and that, you know, we're saved by works or something, but we certainly have duties and responsibilities. All right, now, so, Trevor, I'm going to probably be taking most of the, of the you know, the time here, and these gentlemen that are on the fellowship right now and another one that will be joining, we're all fairly well on the same page of things, so um, it's just, it's just re- uh, doing things in our own minds and looking at things and helping to galvanize it in our minds and so forth. And um, from time to time, there'll be different topics that we'll, of course, get under, but underway with and uh, certainly welcome any that you might have as well. So one of the scriptures that we had brought out was in the book of Romans, and it's in chapter 3, verse 2. So I'm going to run over to Romans 3, 2 real quick, and we will begin with that. And then we're going to make the connections to the Old Testament that are available in the Scripture. Romans 3, verse 2 says, uh, I actually should probably, I, I don't know if I just in error wrote down Romans 3, 2, but we should, for context, begin a little bit more um, earlier than that. Uh, what we could do is we could say, okay, if we're looking at Romans 2, we get in the beginning of the chapter about God's righteous judgment, how it's carried out, what his expectations are, and so forth. And then it goes into cautions about hypocrisy in the, basically in the middle of the chapter. And um, when we get down to Oh, let's say 24, it says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. For circumcision verily profits if thou keeps the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the, right, unri keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? 
and shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision thus transgress the law. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. And this is really the context, probably. I didn't need to go all the way back there. But for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is an outward in the flesh. But he's a Jew, and again, everywhere in Scripture where we read the word Jew, at least in the New Testament, it should be read properly as the definition requires a Judahite, meaning of the tribe of Judah. Now, there were some who were called Jews who were not Jews, but in the way it is supposed to be properly used in the New Testament and where it occurs relatively little in the Old Testament, it meant a Judahite or of the tribe of Judah and still does. It has not changed. 29, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. So I would say he is a Judahite which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. And that pretty well summarizes just what I kind of started out here with um, about our general overall belief and understanding of the scriptures. And in three, then, it says, what advantage then has the Judahite, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way chiefly because that under them were committed the oracles of God. And this is the part of the scripture that I wanted to center in on because it says, who were committed the oracles of God. Unto them were committed the oracles of God. And so right there, if we are to stop, we already understood that he's saying, look, what does circumcision profit you if you aren't abiding in the will of God anyway? So you need to get it out of your thick head is basically what he's saying to these Judahites that you are, because you are a Jew, you somehow have something that you do not. I'm here to tell you, he's saying, that you do not have what you think you have. And um, so in two, much every way chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. Well, what do we mean? Unto them were committed the oracles of God. What are we to glean from that? Well, as I mentioned, having a Bible that has some cross-reference footnotes going to take us right here. I have a cross-reference to chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. So I'm just going to ease back to chapter 2, go to verses 18 and 19, and why don't we start with 17 for context. He says, Behold, thou art called a Judahite, or thou art called a Jew, as the King James renders it, and resteth in the law, and makes thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approves things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. So it's interesting that it's cross-references to 18 and 19. So, what happens in 18 and 19 again? We've got additional cross-references. So, at 18, I have a cross-reference, again, that carries me back in the scriptures to some other um, uh, scriptures. And what do I find? It leads me back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 8, to Psalms 147, 19, 20. So, just... Jot these down because we won't be going to them all. But 
from time to time, I'm going to take time uh, because what we're trying to do is make the connection that what's being talked about here has to do with the people called Israel in the Old Testament, and they are still being referred to in the New Testament. So uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, 7 to 8 is one that wouldn't hurt for us to go back to so that we can get what's being said here by the Apostle Paul. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 7 to 8. For what nation is there so great who has God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Well, that right there teaches us that these oracles of God that Paul is talking about, about what these Judahites, why he said, well, sure, there's an importance here because it was to them that was given the oracles of God. They were part of Israel. Israel and Judah became two separate houses of Israel, which are the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob, Israel, whose name was changed to Israel. And so Judah was part of that. And so he's conveying to them that information about they were given the oracles of God. Well, that takes us back to those people. So it's obvious that he's talking about those people. He's not talking about a spiritual Israel here. Um, He's talking about those physical people known as Israel, both houses. And specifically here, he's addressing the house of Judah or the Judahites that he was clarifying or speaking uh, directly about. Also, it gave Psalms 147, um, 19 to 20. And I think that that's good, too. I mean, I'd like to go to these as much as I can, but we'll have to go through them fast to try to get through everything that's um, uh, the book of Romans here that we wanted to address. But... um, one Psalms 147, 19 to 20. And any of you, when I uh, list these off, if you flip to one of these scriptures, sound off that you're ready to read it at any time, and that's fine. We'll be happy to let you go ahead and chime in and, and read the particular scriptures. But I'm in 147 of Psalms 1920. He shows his word unto Jacob, his statutes, his judgments unto he has not dealt so with any nation, and as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. Two things, two very important things to glean from right here. In fact, <clears throat> what we've got is we've got a confirmation that it is Jacob Israel that Paul is referring to, not just Judahite even though specifically perhaps addressing the Judahite concern, if you will, or the issue regarding circumcision in that particular part of the scripture. And so he says unto Jacob in this Psalms 147, that we have a confirmation that he showed his word unto Jacob, his statute and his judgments unto Israel. Now we know of a certainty that we are talking about the same people that, Paul is referring to, 20, he has not dealt so with any other nation. As for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise you the Lord. In fact, what the psalmist is rejoicing about is that no one else 
had been given this information or these laws, his statutes, his judgments, his word, and he'd not dealt that way with any other nation. And remember also, he uses the word nation. That nation is the nation of Israel, which comprises both the house of Israel and the house of Judah, because there was a split. And if you don't know where the split is or where that occurred, then you know we'll take some time to bring you up to speed on that at some time in the future. All right, now I've done the cross-references on Romans 3.2 so that we are confident that Paul is speaking about those very people that this Bible is about. All right, and the next book of uh, uh, Roman... um, Oh, actually, I have a cross-reference. I missed one there. There was another cross-reference in, uh, in uh, Romans 3.2 um, to Romans chapter 9, verse 4. Romans chapter 9, I am coming to appreciate more and more the significance of this chapter in a way that I had not before, but um, Romans chapter 9, verse 4, it says, Who are Israelites? Um, well, let's start at 9-1. Paul has this burden on his heart, and he's trying to convey to those at Rome that he's addressing this epistle to. He says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish myself were a curse from the Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom pertains the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Well, that is a mouthful, and I know we've gone over that scripture already before, so I'm not going to go into it in great detail because that's he's already expressing he has a sorrow for his brethren. He wants his brethren to come to the truth of this gospel message of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, as God in the flesh, to lay down his life to redeem Israel. He has a desire that they would know and understand this. He has a desire that he could be accursed for them just so that they could know it and understand it. That's what he's saying. I wish myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Well, he's not talking about a spiritual kinsman here. He says kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom pertains. And then he goes on to talk about the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, the promises. Well, there's a whole host of scriptures that that cross-references to. And for the sake of time, we really won't be able to get all of them, but I'm going to lay each and every one of them out. I don't know what others' Bibles do cross-reference, but I cross-reference out of Romans uh, 9.4, I cross-reference to Deuteronomy 7.6, Exodus 4.22. I've given these out of order. I should have tried to put them in order. Um, uh, uh, Deuteronomy 14.1, Jeremiah 31.9, 1 Samuel 4.21, 1 Kings 8.11, Psalms 63.2, Psalms 78. 61, Acts 3.25, which we've already gone over in the, in the study on the book of Acts, on those 
uh, scriptures last week. Hebrews 8, 8 to 10, which we all know that is where the new covenant exists. If you ask somebody today, is there a new covenant? Many Christians will say yes. Yes, there is. But if you were to ask them, who was the new covenant made with? They often will give you a lot of personal conjecture. <clears throat> they very, rel- uh, very rarely will actually give you scripture and verse. However, Hebrews 8, verses 8 to 10, is indeed that scripture which says whom the new custom, uh, covenant is made with. And then another cross-reference to this same Romans 9.4 is Hebrews 9.1. Romans 3.2, which we just went over, obviously it's a cross-reference to that, and Acts 13.32, which we went over last week, and Ephesians 2.12. Um, and uh, uh, I've got another person joining, so I do want to say welcome to, uh, is it Cinemod? Are you... Uh, Mic'd up, Cinemod? <coughs> All right, I don't know if he's mic'd up yet. Uh, it looks like uh, he's just viewing on the Internet, so he might be just listening through audio. And um, All right, so that and Ephesians 2.12 was the last scripture if I did not give that. I apologize. So uh, anyhow, Ephesians uh, 2.12. Now, all right, so what there at all should we actually go to, if anything, and make the connection. I think we've been to Deuteronomy, so we could probably just uh, skip that one, perhaps. They're very important. I don't want to skip them at all, but I know that there's only so much time. And um, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 9 might be one. And anybody that's going to flip to any of those others uh, that I cited, feel free to call out if you're ready with something. But I'll go to Jeremiah 3, 9 and read that one, or 31.9. So I'm in the book of uh, Prophet Jeremiah at chapter 31, and verse, oh, got to go back one more. Sorry about that. 31.9, and uh, let's see. This is actually a prophecy, what we'll see here, about the regathering of Israel. And this is important, because if we're reading in the New Testament and and we've listened to what the church world has told us, is that this is just a spiritual Israel. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're an Israelite. And that's not exactly, you know, a correct way for the church world to actually speak about that. But this cross-reference that we have out of Romans 9-4 is bringing us back to Deuteronomy 31 and a prophecy about the regathering of Israel. Now remember, we already know there's been a breaking up of the house of uh, Israel and the house of Judah. And in that breakup, which is noted in Jeremiah 3.8, well, it's noted in other scriptures, but in Jeremiah 3.8 is where we are told that he's going to divorce the house of Israel. He's going to cast them off. And so here in Jeremiah 31, specifically verse 9, which are cross-referenced. Remember, anybody that's got background noise, go ahead and if you're listening to something, um, you're going to get feedback through your computer. 
So be sure and mute your audio, and I let you mute them yourself so that I don't have to unmute when somebody wants to, to join. So for any of you that uh, have that, uh, you know, don't have your audio muted and you feel like you'll need it because of some background noise, just go ahead. So it says in Jeremiah 31, 9, they shall come with weeping and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way wherein they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. This is a prophecy about the regathering. You know, if we go for the whole part of that in 31, 7, 8, and 9, that's this this regathering that's being prophesied. And in verses 10 and on, we're actually seeing the redemption of Israel being prophesied of. And so, um, and of course, Jeremiah 31, which many of us already know, 31-31, is where that new covenant is being promised to them. So it all makes sense. It's all part of it. Remember what my motto is that I use, which is whether doctrines or parables, allegories, visions, prophecy, or metaphors. And a few weeks ago, I realized I needed to add scripture to that because whether it's scripture, whether it's doctrines, whether it's parables, we've got to remember that we cannot be misled to interpret them contrary to the laws of God or contrary to the entire biblical historical record. So why would we be in the New Testament and speak about things and have the church world say to us certain things, make certain outlandish statements that have no foundation in the biblical truth. And so that's what we're trying to do is refute this deception that, well, Israel's gone out of existence and there's no longer a physical Israel that was being dealt with by Christ. And and actually, to honestly do that, it would mean that every one of these prophecies were not fulfilled or were basically bogus, and that Christ himself did not actually fulfill the very prophecies that should have been fulfilled in him. So it, it's, it, it really has taken our whole understanding and our whole biblical perspective and trashing it into a doctrine and a theology that isn't based on the foundation that it should be based on. So that was, uh, that was Romans 9.4, and we went to Jeremiah 31.9. Uh, Rich, I don't know, did you look up? Well, I think we should do that. Rich, did you pull up any scripture particular that you go look at out of those lists, that list, or no? No, not yet. I'm gonna, all right, I'm going to flip over to Hebrews 8, 8 to 10, because this is an important one. And I know that we are aware of this, but perhaps we're coming into the period of time where there are people joining who may not specifically be aware of this scripture. But in Hebrews chapter 8, 8 to 10, well, let's begin for 7 for context. It says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second, for finding fault with them, says the Lord, behold the days come when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, says the Lord. All right, so that's another one of the cross-references out of Romans 9.4. It leads us right to the very truth about the new covenant 
that we read about in the prophecies in Jeremiah 31, and certainly that are recorded for Samuel 4:21, 1 Kings, all those scripture cross references that I gave. Now, another one that we might want to go to, which is a New Testament. So I think we fairly well established there's a connection here with this epistle of Paul to the Romans. There's a connection that he's drawing us back to, to the very people that he's actually addressing. And Ephesians 2, um, I think it would do us well to go ahead and hit that one because uh, it, uh, it is the heart of another part of the lifeblood of the information that we need to understand how Paul is addressing the various groups in the various epistles, whether it's Galatians, Ephesians, Rome, the Romans, uh, you know, and others. Uh, it's important that we, we recognize that we can tie the same information to each of these epistles. So I'm in chapter 2, 12 of Ephesians, and it says that at that time, let's see, let me, uh, let me begin with 11. Uh, there's so much that's important in all of two there that deals with this because the church world wants to take much of Ephesians 2 and deal with it spiritually. Um, and the, uh, the reality is, is there may be spiritual concepts being conveyed, but Paul is addressing and speaking to and about a physical resurrection, or excuse me, a physical reconciliation, which was what we had just read about too, about in Jeremiah 31. But so for context here, I will just begin at 11, Ephesians 2, chapter 11, wherefore remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. All right, that's a lot to unpack there, but we need to unpack it because he says, remember that you being in times past Gentiles. Okay, we've got to stop. And once again, remember, the church world has taught us that Gentiles just simply means non-Jew. All peoples from all persuasions, races, whatever, are called Gentiles. But when we look that word Gentiles up, you remember we found that it was ethnos, and we found that it means nations, and further we found information that, um, well, you guys will be happy to know, um, or maybe you won't be happy to know, um, I'm not sure. Did we lose both of the others? <laughs> uh, it looks as if we lost them. Huh? Uh, I, Jeremiah, I'm not they sure. They look gone. Oh, they do. All right. So um, anyhow, so what's happening here is you being in times past Gentiles, Gentiles meaning nations, you being in times past nations, nations in the flesh, and this is actually Israelite Gentiles, Israelite uh, nations who are not called, who were called uncircumcision. Why? Because 
they no longer were connected with God. They were no longer connected with God through circumcision. They were no longer connected with him because he cast them off and divorced them. So they were called uncircumcision by whom? He says by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And who was alien? And who had no contact with God, Christ? Who are those people that had been cast off and divorced, which you know we all know about, and that is the Israelites. That is the house of Israel. Not all Israel, just the house of Israel, I should clarify. And uh, it says, uh, strangers from the covenants of promise, how did they become strangers? They were divorced by God and having no hope and without God in the world. They were without hope that they were ever going to be reunited with God because the law of God said a divorced woman could not be reunited with her former husband after she'd been with another. Israel went whoring after her God, and God said, I gave her a writ of divorcement. I put her away. Well, how is God going to be a God to Israel when he said he was going to be a God to Israel forever? How is he going to do this if he has, in fact, divorced them and the very law of God forbid it? Now, many of us already know the answer to that is what we're looking at right here in this New Testament. We're looking at the actual redemption. We're looking at the actual reconciliation. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you were who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And, you know, we could go on. We could go on to that whole, you know, scripture there in, in throughout Ephesians 2. But I, I better keep moving so that I can get to everything that needs to get, uh, get uh, dealt with. So remember, we were dealing with Romans 3.2. It cross-references to Romans 2.18 and 19, which cross-referenced us to others. We were dealing with 9.4, which was cross-referenced to. We, were, we read Deuteronomy 4.7 and 8, which we were cross-referenced to. And remember, Deuteronomy 4.7 and 8 cross-referenced us to 2 Samuel 7.23, Psalms 46.1, Psalms 145.18, Psalms 148.14, and Isaiah 55.6. And then Psalms 147 that we were cross-referenced to in Romans 3.2, 147.19.20, cross-referenced us to Psalms 76.1, 78.5, and Deuteronomy 33.2-4, and Deuteronomy 4.32-4, and Romans 3.12, once again in, in the book of Romans. So, that's, I know, a lot um, that just that one scripture there in Romans 3.2 draws us back to but what we're trying to do is get better at understanding how what we read in the new testament is not the way the church world has been telling us it they're not just spiritual israelites these are still israelites in the flesh that paul was addressing that Christ himself said he came not but under the lost sheep of the house of Israel. These are very important things that the church world just 
continues to ignore or you know they pass over because they are you know having to stay within the tenets of their doctrine in order to not step out of the bounds of it and have the wrath of the organized hierarchy come down upon them for having step out and taught something contrary to what you know is the doctrine that's approved to be taught <clears throat> so it really is something that i think is is very appropriate but for us to be that, doing isn't that interesting Go ahead, Russell. That, yeah i said isn't that interesting that they could uh let's say be remediated and taught that these are the ways that we're going to teach uh, the New Testament, right? Right. And we're going we're going to omit all this stuff about a real Israel, and we're going to preach a spiritual Israel. And so, I guess there's so no, then problem, there, no problem. Right. So in order to do that, they have to therefore then create since that's the doctrine, all of the scripture references and all of the teaching and so forth that they do has to be in accordance with that and has to be in accordance with, you know, leading the mind in that direction as opposed to fully opening up the truth that's being conveyed. And I truly believe that this is so important because the people cannot understand, if they cannot understand who they are, they can't really fully understand the commission that they're under. And think of it like this. Let's think of a family situation, and we have uh, an inheritance. And I know this is something that Pastor Peters used as an analogy. You have an inheritance, and you're being told that you have an inheritance. But you're not really being told everything you need to know about that inheritance. The fact that you had an inheritance and you did not know you had an inheritance, wouldn't that make you that much more inquisitive about, hey, well, how does this all come about? Or are we so shallow that we're just happy that we've got the inheritance and, of course, we're, we're monetarily bound or we're, um, what do they call that? Uh, what is the word I'm looking for? We're, we're so, um, um, uh, what's well, the word I'm looking for? Not. <laughs> Go ahead. What I was going to say, though, is here's what I find interesting. The word came down from above. This is the way we're to preach this message. And you know it came down through the Methodists, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, all of them. And so this is the way it's going to be. And, um, And I guess nobody pushed back, did they? None of the congregation, the uh, no. congregation just accepted it because their hierarchy told them to, kind of like we do at a doctor with cancer. Doctor says you're going to live six weeks, and we just start crying. We don't push back. But here's what here's what came to my mind, and yet they can take something clearly, clearly, which is sin, any way you want to read it, homosexuality, and inject that into the New Testament and make that favorable and godly and something we should hold on to. And if you don't believe it, then you've got a problem. Yeah. Well, and yeah, in every step that they acquiesce, 
in those various denominations, you found others leading those dom- denominations, and they subsequently became non-denominationals. And so division upon division upon division upon division upon division ad infinitive um, is what we've had with the spirit, if you will, of Christ, uh, of, the, of the Holy Spirit gift of the knowledge of this, this, this fabulous love story and this fabulous relationship that he has for a people commissioned to carry out his will and his plan. Um, having nothing to do with selfishness or self-righteousness or any of the rest of it, just simply putting somebody in charge of the kingdom, if you will. And as I've used the analogy before, why would a, a family, a parent, you know, want to put somebody in charge of the family that he knows he cannot handle the responsibility. He wants to put the father, you know, wants to put somebody in charge of the responsibility of carrying out the family estate who's going to carry it out. And what we've got here is a people that cannot carry out their kingdom plan and their kingdom mission and the kingdom duty because they simply don't know it. And in fact, if you're really honest, we have been, more often than not, peddling our own, you know, religion, if you will, all over the world, and it has nothing to do with the true word of God. And so we've done a, we've got, done a great disservice in the kingdom and for the dominion. So, anyhow... All right, well, let's see. Romans chapter 4 uh, is the next scripture that we had addressed a couple of weeks ago, and that's Romans 4.16. Uh, let's see. Uh, we could probably begin for context at 13, but just for, for understanding what's going on here is Paul's addressing about how justification came through Abraham through faith, it didn't come through works. It was accounted unto him for righteousness because he believed God. That was the faith. That's why I say this has always been the same that it's always been. People just seem to understand it differently than what God's intention was, that we were made righteous by works of the law or made righteous by works that cannot save us or could not, you know, uh, do exactly what it is that God wanted us to do. He wanted our hearts to just carry this out in righteousness just because we did it for the Father. And many times in the scriptures, God says, you know, I'm not doing this because of you. I'm doing this that my name will be preserved and protected. I, you know, that's something that the church world seems to have forgotten and seems to not really even grasp much of the concept of it anymore. But anyhow, down to four, uh, uh, 4.16. So anyhow, he's, Paul is addressing that faith, and, and then he goes on to reiterate, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world, that's uh, 4.13, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is made of none effect. <clears throat> because the law works wrath for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end 
the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, this scripture can often be used and twisted and manipulated to come and become something that it's absolutely not intended to be. I have a cross. I have a note there to myself, Galatians 3:22. I don't think I'm. Well, actually, it is a cross reference on it. I just looked at my notes here. Galatians 3:22 is a cross reference on this scripture. So it cross references to 3:24. So we drop back to 3:24 here in. Romans, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So this is a a reference here to these two scriptures back together. We don't have an Old Testament reference, which we're trying to understand in these scriptures when we read them. But when you see in 16, uh, to the end of the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, okay, to all the seed. Remember, who's of the law yet? The only people that are still under the law covenant, the covenant law, the Mosaic law covenant, the only people still under that is Judah. Correct, Rich? That's true. Yeah. And so then since since he's saying to the end that might to all the seed, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. Well, how, how Paul is addressing this specifically for a reason, to all the seed. There's something that Paul is trying to convey that says, you know, it's not just to those that are still under the Mosaic Law Covenant because Judah was the only one still under it. Israel had been divorced and cast off. She was no longer under that bond of that covenant, under that Law Covenant, Mosaic Law Covenant. To all the seed. Well, who is all the seed? He's obviously meaning that there is something that is supposed to be of being attributed that the end of the promise to all the seed, how's that going to be fulfilled? Not only to those that are of the law. Okay, and then, so what we've got there is the cross-referencing that takes us to not only, uh, um, excuse me, 324, takes us to 322, and let's just ease right on over to 22. Um, for context, once again, um, let's see. What do we need to do? Um, really, the whole thing. <laughs> all right, so we left 16, but to that also, which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, who is the father of us all. We're not talking about somebody spiritually coming in to a fold. We're talking about that what we should be talking about is what Paul is talking about, who is the father of us all. Who is the father of us all? Um, I have a footnote there at that um, line. Um, I'm thinking it's uh, Romans 9. Yes, it is Romans 9, 8 and uh, Isaiah 51, 2. So you might want to put a footnote there by Romans uh 16 at the tail end of that verse and just jot in there Romans 9.8 and Isaiah 51.2 because that's going to, again, require us to figure out in order to understand who Paul is talking about when he says who is the father of us all, we've got to get the 
who it is that he's talking about. And I suspect if you go back to Jeremiah 51, not knowing specifically that chapter other than I know it's a prophecy um, recorded by Isaiah, so I know that it's going to deal with, uh, with Israel. Let's see. Um, even Let's see. Then I had uh, 9.8. So when you go to Romans 9.8, let's just quick flip over there because that's where we're going to find more information. 9, chapter 8, uh, or verse 8. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Okay. So he's talking about yeah, Abraham. Exactly. Talk- seven is better. Okay, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. To, to get more for the context, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall the seed be called. That's a very, yeah, it's, it's a huge clarification to get it in the proper context. And then eight, that is, they which are the children of the flesh. And who was the children of the flesh? Anybody? Esau. 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 Esau, well, the, the children of the flesh were those that were born not and not of the seed of Jacob, uh, how do I want to say that? Um, um, of uh, Sarah. I, of Isaac, I'm sorry. Remember, it, when uh, Hagar was given uh, to Abraham um, in order to bring seed unto, yeah, in order to bring seed unto Abraham, the promise had been made to Abraham and he still didn't have any children. And so um, Ishmael is born, and Ishmael was of the flesh. It was not of the promise. And as Rich pointed out, to know who the promise is, it says, not as the word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are, not the, because they are the seed of Abraham, they are all children, but in Isaac shall the seed be called. So Russell's right in the sense that he says Esau. Rich clarifies Ishmael. Those are of the flesh. The seed was called through Isaac. And that's what it says. Through Isaac shall the seed be called. And of course, Isaac had his 12 sons. That is why, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. The seed of who? The seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, in whom the seed should be called. Very important, really, to, to have seven in there. I wish that it had cross-referenced us to nine, seven to eight, rather than I'm going to make a note of that in my notes just so in the future when I bring that out, I make sure that I bring that out to people there. Okay, now, in Romans 9, 7 to 8, once again, what happens? We're being cross-referenced. Galatians 4.28, and Galatians 4.28, Paul is again speaking to the Galatians. So it's another area where he's addressing something that he wants to bring out, and Galatians 4.28, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So Paul is talking to the Galatians, 
he's equating the Galatians to whom? To himself. Now we, brethren, you brethren Galatians, you who are brethren in Galatia, as Isaac was, you are now the children of the promise. He's telling these Israelites in Galatia, hey, we're as one now. We've been brought back together. The Redeemer has indeed come. He has indeed carried out that which it was his commission to do, which was to come and redeem his people. Just incredibly valuable if we allow this Bible to run the story from beginning to end instead of changing the story in the middle of the stream or in the last part of the stream called the New Testament and then try to change it all and fit a doctrine that we think is going to be pleasing to the world, I guess, or pleasing to all people, I guess, and it has nothing to do with the biblical record. All right, so now that we're in Romans, uh, we were just in Romans 9, I've kept a finger there, and... Romans 9 has a wealth of information that we're going to be required to go through as well. And I'm really rapidly running out of time. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 4. I say the truth in Christ. Oh, we already read that, so I won't read it again because we addressed it under Romans 3, 2 and the footnotes and the cross-references that we were led to there. All right, so I won't read 1 to 4. Uh, but... In, uh, we also have uh, Romans 9, 1 to 4, and Romans 29, 24 to 26 was in our scriptures that we addressed um, a few weeks ago. Now, I have a, a note here in my notes uh, about 9, 4 already having gone over, but then I have 16 in parentheses. I, I wonder why. Am I referring to verse 16? So then it is not of him that wills or him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. I don't know why I put the 16 in parentheses. Um, it may have been in something that I was reading and I forgot to fully reference it. But let's go to 24, 9, 24 to 26. And uh, sometimes I do that. I get ahead of myself and forget to write things down and think I'm going to know it or something. So chapter twenty or nine twenty-four to six, let's see for context, where do we want to be here? Um even us whom he has called, not of the Judeans only, translated in my King James as Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Again, Gentiles, we gotta understand the church world has taught us that Gentile simply means non-Jews. That's the way it's been taught for 100 years for all of us here in America. That's what they told us and have not used the correct terminology, the correct definition of the word. I think it translates into four or five definitions. And Paul himself, it even says in the definition in... Uh, I don't remember which one I had there, but one of them, it might have been Vines or one of the others, but Paul actually refers to them as Israelite Gentiles. So in other words, everywhere Paul uses the word Gentile, he's referring to Israelite Gentiles, Israelite nations, 
who have been scattered abroad, who were dispersed, who went in and, you know, first of all, they were dispersed. They were taken captivity by uh, into the Assyrian captivity. And then from there, you know, uh, went on as different power uh, structures uh, went on with uh, with um, Babylonians and the different empires and so forth. But anyhow, 24 to 26, even us whom he has called, not of all of the Judeans only, but also of the Gentiles, meaning nations, nations of Israel specifically, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people, which are not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Uh, and uh, Elijah also cries out concerning Israel, through the, though the number of the children of Israel be as a fantasy, a remnant shall be saved. So once again, Paul is saying, as it also says in Hosea, well, then that means that now we're being drawn back to Hosea. And I know we went over Hosea fairly significantly a couple, three weeks ago. And so I won't go there again. But I would like to suffice it to say that this prophecy in Hosea can only be, can only be properly fulfilled if what Paul is referring to is indeed actually occurring. In other words, the prophecy of Hosea is actually occurring. That's what he's doing. He's making the connection. As it also says in Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people. And what did God do when he called his people? Christ said, I came to my people Israel. I came not but to the lost house of the tribe of Israel. That's what it says. That's what he says. So he's called, even though God had already told them in Hosea, I will not call them my people, but he said, I will call them my people, and beloved, which was not beloved. So he has said, well, it's, it's all there in Hosea. So it's Hosea chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. It shall come to pass that in the place that was said unto them, you are not my people, there, it shall be, they, there they shall be called the children of the living God. And what are we called today? We are called Christ's sons, Christians. We are the sons of Christ. We are the sons of the living God, the sons that were heir to the promise, the sons that the promises were made to and drawn right back to God as he said he would under the promises that were made and the prophecies that were made throughout the biblical record. So that's a very significant one there that is not to be you know, glossed over. And if we need to spend more time on it, we can. But that also cross-references to chapter 3, verse 29. But importantly, in verse 25, um, that's Hosea, it, it, that cross-reference to Hosea is Hosea 2.33. Uh, so in other words, I'm saying verse 25 crosses to Hosea 2.23 and 1 Peter 2.10 and 
First Peter 2.10 cross-references to Hosea 1.10. Verse 26, where it says, you are not my people, that, of course, cross-references to Hosea 1.10 as well, and Isaiah 10.22 and 23. Oh, and there was one more scripture that I forgot on the last one. It was uh, Hosea 1.10, Hosea 2.23, and then Romans 9.25, but... We're already in nine, so it cross-referenced back, so it's not that necessarily important. Um, So these scriptures are the fulfillment of the prophecy in Hosea, and if they're not, then we have no reason to believe God. But since we are to believe the prophets, Christ said, you know, if you don't believe the prophets and you don't believe Moses, who spoke of me, and all this record that I've got, then you're not mine. You're not mine twofold. You're not mine because you won't hear me, and you're not mine because you basically disacknowledge that I am who I am. So how can you be God's? How can you even claim to be? Um, so anyhow, um, and by the way, Hosea chapter 3 in verse 5 actually tells us when it's going to happen. Maybe I should go back there. Uh, Hosea, quickly. Um, uh, Hosea chapter 3 and verse 5. Let's just read 3 right away, the whole thing. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress. According to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who took to other gods and loved flagons of wine, so I bought brought her. Excuse me, I bought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver, and for an omer of barley and half omer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king. So right here, Israel said you're going to be abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, without a teraphim. Afterward, shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So right here, we're being told in five, afterward, shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Okay, we're being told in the book of Hosea there's going to be a latter day where this is going to occur. Well, Christ was often referred to as David. So we should understand from the prophecy the children of God, the children of Israel, afterward shall the children of Israel return And this is what Israel did throughout this good news given to them by Paul and the the other apostles was they returned and they sought their king. And who is their king? King Jesus. A David figure, or Jesus, rather David, a Jesus figure, if you're following me, and David their king. But David was dead when this prophecy was made. So the only way David's going to be alive is if 
as if it's a reference to, it's a symbolic reference to Christ. Am I right, Rich? I, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it is. That's uh, now. Um, also, verse 5 in that scripture, I'm going to just double check that I did not make a mistake on that. Um, I believe I got it right. Um, that cross-references to... Um, cross-references to chapter 5, verse 6. I guess I'm wondering where I went from there. They shall go with your flocks with their herds seek the Lord, but they shall not find him as with us. Um... um I'm going to have to fill in the blank on this next week, but I, I'm i not sure where I went, but I wrote down Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 9, Ezekiel 34, 23, and 4, and Ezekiel 37, 22, and 4. Then I wrote a note to myself saying, Latter days, Isaiah 2, 2, Jeremiah 30, 24, Ezekiel 38, 8, and 16, Daniel 2, 28 and Micah 4 1. So again, I apologize. I didn't leave myself enough information in my notes here. I'll have to figure out what I did there. I'll have to work it backwards. Obviously, somehow I began to try to study about the latter days. Um, and um, I'm not seeing that it was a footnote from three. Um, sure, I suppose that's what it was. Uh, uh, Jeremiah 30, verse 9. Okay, I got it. At Jerem, excuse me, at Hosea chapter 3, verse 5, that is where I am cross-referenced to Jeremiah 30, verse 9, Ezekiel 34, 23, and 4, and Ezekiel 37, 22, and 4. And then also in the latter days, I have a cross-reference as well. That took me to Isaiah 2, 2, Jeremiah 32, 30, to, excuse me, Jeremiah 30, 24, Ezekiel 38, 8 and 16, Daniel 2 and 28, and Micah 4, 1. All right, so that's what happened there. So I've got it now straight away. I won't go to those because we're running out of time. Uh, last Roman scripture that we did was Romans chapter 11. Let's buzz over there quick so we can button that up. And I've got to get back to the New Testament. And... Romans chapter 11, verses uh, 1. Uh, gosh. Let's see. Romans 11. Questioning my notes here. I got some scribbling here. Um, so let me do this. Let me say Romans 11, 1, and then 7 to 8. Um, there is just a abundance of scriptures that we are cross-referenced to in, I believe, 7 and 8. I did not even bother to write them down because there were so many. So let me just see here, Romans 11, 7. Um, and I'll give them to you if your Bibles don't have it. Romans uh, 11, 7. 
7 and 8. Um, okay, Romans 7. I have chapter 9, 31 and 10, 3. And then Isaiah 29, 10. Deuteronomy 29, 4. Isaiah 6, 9. I lost my place. Uh, I got it. Jeremiah 5.21, Ezekiel 12.2, Matthew 13.4, John 12.40, and Acts 28.26 and 7, which we've already reviewed uh, when we did the review on Acts. Now, verse 11, chapter 11 of Romans, verse 25 and 6, that one let's center in on for a few minutes while we wrap it up. Um, 25 and 6, is again, um, I've got a number of cross-references on 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. He's telling the people in the Israelites in Rome, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles, the fullness of the nations of Israel, become it. And so all Israel shall be saved. Now, once again, if Israel is just a physical or a spiritual manifestation, as the church world has taught us, why is Paul telling us that all Israel shall be saved? He's telling us that because he wants those in Rome to know that all Israel is receiving salvation. In other words, the tribes of Israel, of the house of Israel, shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. 25 and 26. I read on into 7. 25 and 6. All right, so 25 and 6. Let me just tell you the footnotes on 25 and 6. 2 Corinthians 3.16. Chapter 12, verse 16, that would be Romans 12, 16. Also, verse 7, Romans 12, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 3, 14. Luke 21, 24. Revelation 7, 9. Isaiah 59, 20. Psalms 14, 7. Acts, excuse me, Isaiah 27, 9. Jeremiah 31, 31, and it says, etc. <laughs> so it's telling you, keep right on there, Jeremiah 31, everything that's in there. And then Hebrews 8, 10, uh, Hebrews 8, 8 to 10, and Hebrews 10, 16. Again, just an abundance of Old Testament scriptures that Paul you are required, essentially, to refer to and to learn about and to understand, to understand what he's saying in verse 25 and verse 26. So that, my friends, is uh, uh, what I've got for you on the book of Romans. And really, the only thing we have left to do, if we're going to continue on this particular study, 
uh, going back to my previous notes, was James 1.1. We know James 1.1 says to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Um, that implies that Israel was obviously scattered somewhere else. 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Peter 2.9 and 10, Galatians 3.7-9, uh, Ephesians 2, which we're in uh, reference to and cross-reference to, uh, Ephesians 3. 6 and verse 8 and then of course the gospels so that's where we're at in this you know Israel Judah and Jew and the subtitle of this series of studies the new test the church's new testament Israel deception and we're now I think in part 6 of this just doing what we need to do which is connect the dots has this been helpful at all? And I know, Esther, it's just been abundance of stuff. You've mentioned that before. So anybody have anything they want to say or anything we want to add as we close down here? And, and uh, I'll give everybody the floor here. I just think there's a lot to read. <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah. I feel like I need to go back and just... It's like everyone is cross-referenced, like, man, I just need to go back and read all of this. Well, you know, what, and about what, the people that... Uh, go ahead, go ahead, Esther. I was just going to say, what Bible are you, you using? Because yours seems to have a lot more cross-references than <clears throat> mine. Yeah, and that's what we had talked about last week or a week before. Um, I'm going to read you right from the copyright page that I have here. Um, I have, it's uh, the King James Version, um, copyright 2013 by Holman Bible Publishers, Nashville, Tennessee. And as I indicated, I just got this Bible right about that same time, 2013, because my other one was becoming, I couldn't hardly hold it together anymore. And this one here, the same thing is happening, and I'm really sad to hear that. But if I can find this Bible translation one more time and, and actually find that it, it is the same and that there's been no you know, significant changes to it and I can get a little bit better binder to it or something or see what's going on with the binding on this one that is starting to come apart. But um, that's all it is. It's and this thing is only about an inch and a half thick, as I mentioned. I don't like a real thick Bible. Um, I like something so the footnotes are rather small. Uh, that I don't like about it. I mean, sometimes I can't tell the difference between obviously an H and an N, and an I and a J, and you know stuff like that without you know pulling yeah. something up like a magnifying glass to look at it. And that's the only thing yeah. that I don't like about it. And maybe what I'll do now that I'm getting older is I'll maybe look for a little bit of a larger font size in the next one. But uh, that's all it is. It's a Holman, uh, Holman uh, Publishers. And I have also a Holman's uh, Bible. Uh, uh, which one is it? Um, a Holman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. Um, and that's where I found that information about the bales and how the bales were the ones that were in charge of the lifeblood. I found another reference to that that was also in Zondervan's pictorial. 
and I use that in one of my messages to show that basically the same thing is what's going on today is we've got those that are in charge of the economic life pulse that are controlling you know everything so uh, but I hope that answered that question and yeah there's a lot and I think that you you've heard much of this but primarily again what I'm saying to you is that those four individuals that you know you fellowship with that are sitting there acting as if it doesn't matter you see you hold this up to them and you say you know this is why it matters you know we can't just read those words with the platitude of what we've been told from the church world we we actually have to understand and and again when Paul says my brethren my kinsmen according to the flesh according to the promises that's not insignificant so if it was important enough to Paul to address those people and to let them know of that gospel news that he was conveying that God in the flesh had indeed come and redeemed his people that's part of the story it's a significant part of the story that's why it matters but the church world has just cast it off and said what matters is that you love Jesus and yet they don't teach us how to love Jesus by loving his commandments well you know Doug this one of the just hearing all this stuff this truth it occurs to me that our our enemy's biggest weapon is lying and slandering and, and deception and through that through that lie they just they come up with strategies through lies such as the the cross the stone being rolled over and the disciples stealing Jesus they they come up with things that alter the world the path of the world and sitting here listening to you and it occurred to me that it, it, it hasn't stopped uh, this whole climate change thing reminds me of just one more scare tactic you know we've been all my life we've, we've had to deal with these scary booger men the communist in the 60s and the what is it now the terrorist I mean they just lie over and over and over and over what motivates them to lie well power and money and uh, the love of a lie and if well, ever, how about this how about this how about this let me take it deeper how about just good old simple sibling rivalry now think about it we've got Ishmael who's not of the promises we just heard Paul tell us that he's not because uh-huh. he was the seed of the flesh he was not the, of the seed of the promise we have Esau who God rejected and said Esau I hate all right so now talk about your booger man well Iran's the latest booger man isn't it and yeah who is it that who is it who is it that wants Iran put under you know control if you will who is it that wants that more than anybody else I'll just give you one guess think of the sibling rivalry think of the sibling rivalry and tell me who of all those people wants Iran 
wants you to think of Iran as being the next boogerman. Who? Israel. Israel. Yeah. Israel. That's exactly right. Israel. Israel. Yeah. And they want to steal their oil. That's exactly right. Well, they're about economic control. That's what they do. They want to show God how they are fulfilling God's commission in the world for his people. Because big brother Esau here, you see, he's, he's got it all. He's got it all figured out. And God's going to continue to reject him. Only, I only worry about the fact that God can take that candlestick from us. But if he were to pass it to the seed of Esau, it would just, I don't see how God can do it. Because I think he still knows that Israel's heart is right, where Esau's heart, he, he's, he's all about the flesh. And so I was thinking the same thing you were this week, Russell, I think, in the way you just expressed it, the booger man. And I just commented to my wife coming home on that whole thing with Iran now, and I said, that is the next booger man. I said, I yep. would be a bit surprised if it was Israel that actually fired on that tanker out there I wouldn't be a bit surprised at all. And I don't subscribe ever, to any of the – go ahead. Uh-uh. You ever notice how the proof is always this fuzzy video? It's always a fuzzy <laughs> video. You, you, you ever send one of those drones up in the sky? They take really good, sharp pictures. But but we never have one of those when we, we need to prove something. Yeah, our video has always got to come from – our video has always got to come from something 30,000 miles above the surface of the earth, right? Yeah, and the Mossad provides it for us. Yeah. You know, Israeli intelligence. We caught them red-handed. But Iran has done nothing to me or my family or my country that I know of, and yet we're planning well, a war. Russell, yeah, Russell, you know, you're, you're, you're just not on board, you know, you're not with it. You need to get in line and, you know, follow the script. And um, well, you know, I don't know what, what it's going to take. This is the same template they used on Saddam Hussein. Exactly. And then after they do the shock and awe and all said and done, there were no nuclear weapons there. So they just make up a story. They they trucked them out at night. I mean, can't you see what's going on here, people? Yeah, War, it does become quite, yeah. Wars generate, the lots, wars generate lots of debt money, tons of debt money. And they keep telling us over and over how great the economy is, don't they? Hey, I wanted to say, don't let me forget, there were those scriptures in Ezekiel 36, 7, and 8. And those are not insignificant because there are some things that we should probably review in those three chapters of Ezekiel sometime. Um, And one of the significant parts about that prophecy in Ezekiel is it talks about um, the people of Israel being in that land and in the land that God promised them. But they'd already been promised a new land, which was 2 Samuel 7.10. But I've been thinking about that part of that scripture in Ezekiel that said that, and I'm thinking we don't live in that land, or our people are not in that land. Some people are. There are still Christians in that land, albeit fewer and fewer 
as time has progressed. But the thing that hit me a couple of weeks ago when I was going through some of those uh, scriptures at Ezekiel, the thing that hit me is that we always had control of Israel until we subjugated control of that when Britain subjugated control of that to Israel to form a nation. Uh, what was that? World War One or was that World War Two? I forget. I confused it. World War Two, wasn't it? Rich. Two. When? Yeah, two. When Israel, you know, Israel became a nation, and it was the Jews who predominated, and it was them that. And so we predominantly were in control of that. You know, our people, even the Turkish people, who were, you know, of of Israel as well. And, yeah. and Britain, and so forth. And so it dawned on me that technically that prophecy did get fulfilled there as well in Ezekiel. Um, we just got subjugated from the land, and in Ezekiel we are told that Esau appropriated his land, God's land. And isn't that what Esau did? He appropriated the land that is closely associated to Israel, they appropriated it once again for themselves. And I don't believe that's insignificant. So it's just something there that, you know, we can go into it a little bit more and I can expand on it and extrapolate from there some other time. But, uh, um, you know, uh, the Lord, uh, his word is here and I just praise God that you guys are, pushing me to keep digging and uh i'm enjoying digging with you so it, it was 48 1948 just yep. just to clarify 1948 yep. so after world war ii and we know that these people called jews are they say it in their own jewish encyclopedias that esau is in modern jewry and so forth. So we know they are not Israel, and we know they are not Judah. So they've told us that much, but the church world still fawning over them and is buying the lie. You know, just like you said, R- R- Russell, the the lies and the deception. And that's why I titled this one the Church's New Testament Israel Deception, because to say that. Israel is no longer in the New Testament. To say that Israel went out of existence, to say that Israel is a spiritual Israel, we're all spiritual Israel, we're not uh, Israelites by circumcision, we're not Israelites by blood, we're not Israelite by race, we're not Israel. We are all Israelites because we, uh, we have um, believe on Jesus. That's how we're, we become Israel, Israelites, basically, without even teaching baptism and and other things uh, that are appropriately connected, uh, it's a deception. It's a deception, and we need to be wary of it. We need to teach others about it. That's So it just came to me a few weeks ago that we really need to address it that way and take on a few of these scriptures that they've used to deceive us. So anyhow, that's it. We had somebody joining us here. And, uh, um, Trevor, you still hanging in there? I know you got your mic mute, uh, muted down. Uh, so, uh, there, yeah, there you went. Here well, I am. What do you think so far? Well, I'm, I'm trying to understand what you're saying because I'm hearing 
because I, I I love the <clears throat> I love these scriptures you share Romans nine Romans eleven Galatians four, um, about Israel and Judah. Uh, but I'm not sure what you're saying. To be frank, what are you saying that the people over there in the physical land of Israel, the Jerusalem that's present, as as Paul put it, they they persecute. They're not of the uh, the promise. They're not heirs. They're a Hagar, right? Well, they, they call themselves Jews, and um, all of their writings, if you do any research and so forth into the Jews, um, they, Jewish Encyclopedia, uh, what is it, 1982, uh, Esau's in Modern Jewry, uh, they, 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 are, uh, they are of the seed of, of Esau, they are not what they claim to be, which is how they always say they're, that anybody who's says anything about them is an anti-Semite, meaning anti-Shem, and that has nothing to do with actually what they're doing is they're calling themselves God's chosen people. So let's do two things to answer your question just quickly. Number one, if those people who call themselves Jews who live in Palestine and Jerusalem today claim to be God's chosen people, which they do, then let's ask ourselves a question. Who is Israel? And if, according to Paul, Israel still has something to be known about and that Israel was, in fact, brought back to God, then those who are Israel, if, and we will be able to show you through other studies and so forth, that the Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, Scandinavian, Celtic, and Kindred peoples are the Israelites of the Bible. We can follow their migrations, and we even have signs, uh, emblems, flags, and signs, and everything else. And that's another study that I think we ought to do too, you guys, because that's needed and necessary for all of us to, you know, recap and to brush up and bone up on. And so my point is, why would we not be able to say that we are God's chosen people as equally as those who say, who call themselves Jews say, that they are God's chosen people. You see, those are some questions that are pretty deep and, you know, not so deep, but just deep in the sense that, hey, how come it is that it's okay for you to say and call yourself something, but yet it's not okay for another people to say something and call themselves somebody and actually be able to prove it and be actually able to show it? There is never a time where you have one of these people who actually show their bloodline back in any way, shape, or form to Judah. And in fact, it sounds like, Trevor, you probably have a lot of things that you've learned in the church world because you said you're starting to come to some of these thoughts that I expressed as an introduction to you, you know, about the church world, meaning, you know, in general and things of that nature. So I sense you're starting to think for yourself, and you're going to probably find that you're going to unlearn a lot of things. Well, I've, and, been, out, I've been out of the church system well, yeah. since the late 1980s. I've been walking with God since 1981, <clears throat> and yeah. that's exactly right. The Lord has us unlearned. I, Paul, Paul is a classic example. He came out of Judaism which is a man-made religion, the builders that reject the cornerstone, he substitute the commandments of God for the tradition. And he was retaught by the Lord himself through the Holy Spirit. 
And Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to, to be all of our teachers. You know, he, the Holy Spirit is our yeah. teacher. So I, I now I understand what you're saying. There's physical bloodline of Israel that are regenerated by faith in Jesus Christ, what you're saying. But the people over there in the physical land, they're usurpers or they're not who they claim to be. And, and it's very well, let serious. Me stop, let me let me. Let me stop there because you said a word that I would not use, and that is a word that the church world has used, and that's regenerative. And I'm not saying regenerative. I'm actually trying to show that the biblical record here that we see in the New Testament actually is dealing with physical flesh and blood descendants of the tribe of Israel. And in fact, that's part of the whole biblical story. That's what's so beautiful about it. If we do not know and understand that God divorced Israel, Jeremiah 3.8, cast her off, put her away, and we know and understand that the law of God forbid her from being reunited with her former husband in marriage, go to the, the, the law regarding divorce. Once a divorced woman had gone and been with another, she was not free to go back to the former husband if she had gone with another. She was not free to do that, and Israel had done that. So Israel was not free to go back to God, and Israel could not understand how God could make this promise to him and say, I'm going to be a God unto you forever. How he could make the prophecy in Hosea that says, go take a wife of a harlot, go do this, go do that, and then he says to, to Hosea, there's going to be a time when I'm going to say you're not my people, but then I'm going to say I am your people. And it's like, what? Wait a minute. So you read Hosea 1, 2, and 3, and you say, wait a minute. He says, I am going to call you my people, and you are going to be the sons of the living God. And then you start saying, well, how is this going to happen? The God, law of God forbids you from going back together. How is it going to happen? This is the love story that's never been told. This is the love story that the church world wants to bury and hide. This is the love story we want the world to know. This is the gospel message that they taught in the first century. This is the message Paul is teaching. This is part of the whole thing. But as I say, don't misunderstand all this to say, oh, well, this only happens for Israel and therefore nobody else. No. It is clear to us in the biblical record. It is to the people of the promise first and then to those who come to believe and do likewise that Israel does in teaching and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with. And there's a whole lot that's got to be done and a whole lot that's got to be unlearned. And as I say, in a, in a great sense, we are actually pushing out a whole lot of garbage into other nations of the world that is not biblical. Not only not biblical, that we're actually not doing these nations as much good as we could if we were abiding in the word of God. So I know it's long-winded and it's a lot to say, and there's just more to the story, I guess is the best way to say it. There's more to the story than what the church world has been teaching, and it's not insignificant. Makes well, when I, when I said regenerate, I'm talking about being born again, um, or born from above, or and Titus being washed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. That's what I mean. And of course, I do like to verify things by the Greek text and look at the words, what they mean. So I, I'll look at that. 
that's what I'm talking about. It's 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 a it's being in the new man that's recreated. You know, being in Christ. That's what I'm talking about. A spiritual yeah, man. That's that's, that's exactly right, and that is what Paul is saying to them as to those Judahites there. He's saying to those Judahites, he's saying, just because you think that you are called a Jew or a Judahite, just because you say that you are of the tribe of Judah, you are of the seed, it doesn't matter. Christ himself, John the Baptist, both of them said, don't think that just because you have father to Abraham to your father, it's right. more than that. It's always been more than that. It's, it's how your heart deals with what God and his desire and his plan is, and that is that we live in accordance to his righteousness. And you see how much unrighteousness is being, you know, peddled out there, you know, uh, through, through the church world, through uh, those who call themselves Jews. You know, it's devastating to the body of Christ. I mean, you know, as we say, it's all in deception. It's leaving a, so much, you know, so much stuff that is so important to us. In other words, one of the things I always am trying to say is that when you think about it, God's got a commission and a plan out here, just as you would as a father over your household. And, and you've got this great plan. And then you go out of the picture don't you want whoever you put in charge of carrying out the plan to continue to carry out the will? You know, you've got a will that you've given and you want the, the, the rudimentary parts of that will to be carried out. And that's the big equation that's missing here that I truly believe it's a part of the kingdom message and a kingdom understanding that if we truly had, as people of God who profess him and profess the Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, who redeemed us, if we're truly going to profess that, he told us, do as I say. And there are so many laws, so many statutes and commands and judgment that are there for our goodwill that are not being utilized and not being carried out that it's working to our destruction. So it would be tantamount to you having a will and I've been put in charge of your will, and I say, well, you know what? I like Johnny, and Johnny's not doing this, and he's not doing that, but, you know, according to the will, I'm supposed to do this if he won't do that, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to carry out the will. You'd be ticked if you were alive and could see what I was doing with your instructions to me. Am I making sense? Well, yes, I believe that we're in total last days and the deception is here. What Jesus warned about the false teachers and false prophets, yeah. all warned about it with night, night and day with tears. Um, yeah. People are, they're enemies of the cross. They don't, they don't preach self-denial. They don't tell that to the people anymore. I mean, it's all about go, go for the world, you know, go for the gusto. And it's tragic. And that's why people are blind now. You have people that are completely spiritually blind, and they don't, they've left Jesus, they left their first love. They, so this is what's on my heart. And I'm glad what Esther spoke up about these, these false flags and the deception that's in the church world is to support all that. Yeah. yeah are you guys aware of the Noah? Aware of what? Are you aware of the Noah, seven Noahide laws that are being put in motion? 
I think you're you're went offline. Can you still no, hear me? I, no, I'm. Yeah, I I still hear you. You can't hear me. Yeah, my well, it went red for the connection, but it's okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I I'm still with you. Um, so you're saying that somebody is promoting the Noahide Seven or something? Is that yeah, let, let me and, about thirty seconds and I'll outline it for you real quick. The um, Judaism, Talmudic Judaism, has great influence all over the world, and they have put into into place in, already in the United States in 1991 the seven Noahide laws for all the world to be under their jurisdiction. And idolatry will be executed and blasphemy by beheading. And that was put into law by Congress in the United States called Education Day. And you'll notice a lot of talk about anti-Semitism right now, right? Yeah. Okay, so this is, <laughs> this is getting really serious because they've been able to put these laws all over the world. And so it's not for us to fear, but it's for us to be prepared to lay down our life. Because we're not going to deny Jesus, but that that will cost you your head, as Revelation twenty verse four says about yeah. the beheading. And that's so, what and that's what's happening. And that's what's happening every time you raise your voice regarding uh, those who call themselves Jews, and uh, you know have anything that you say that uh, appears to be contrary to them. Um, and I, I just firmly believe that uh, I think a lot of people have done a lot of disservice in trying to um, utilize different things that really weren't helpful, whether it's the seed of Satan or, you know, anyone, any, any of these other things. And, you know, I've, I've even brought people to the scripture in Romans where Paul says even before Esau and Jacob were you know born from the womb and they could had either done good or bad uh, well you know anyhow so so i think we some people have done a lot of disservice and so i think if you always clarify how you're saying things and so forth they're still not going to like you absolutely not because you're going to be speaking the truth and their agenda is is deception and lies and uh, dominion because they want to, uh, you know, they want to show God well, the that they know how, they they know how to take the dominion that Israel was supposed to be doing, uh, Jacob Israel, and they were commissioned to go into and be a blessing to the world, and um, is the only way that it appears that uh, it's happening is because, you know, we're all over everywhere at the instigation of the Jews, basically. <laughs> and uh, and it's really, as I say, in large part leading to a lot of devastating effects to people all over the world. And so God's not going to like it when he's told us to do a certain thing and uh, and we're essentially peddling out, you know, a bad a bad product, if you will. So, no, I think you and I think similar things. We probably have come at it from different angles because of where we've come in our walk and so forth but uh yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna speak against these guys you can expect to re receive some resistance and that's why very few ever make it into the major markets um you know without some money behind them or something else because uh it's all you're controlled just, by you're just, yeah yeah you're not you're not going to get into that that market and you're not going to get airwaves um, without peddling the, the, the doctrine, you know? 
Well, the censorship and, uh, the censorship is underway right now. They're they're censoring. Oh, absolutely. YouTube. Absolutely. And they're seeking yep. to pass more laws in the United States. And yeah, this what Esther was talking about, Iran. They are gonna, you know, eventually that'll be something that happens. But um, anyway, so it's a very uh, perilous days. What the Lord said would come, and men loving themselves, and it all stems from that. But I, I see the deception that's in the church world. I mean, people are very spiritually completely oblivious what's coming down the line. They're not ready. Well, and, and, you know, even the prophecy talks about, you know, a remnant of Israel will be saved, uh, and that was in that time period also. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there were some that, that could hear and could receive. There were some yeah. Judahites who did receive it, and there were those who were not true Judahites who did not receive it, who rejected it and killed the Messiah, you know, or at least uh, fomented it. And, um, you know, so... Yeah, we're definitely, uh, you know, you're you're thinking along the same lines, and we're just trying to do our little part to keep our own selves sharp and and have a place to fellowship and and uh, mm -hmm. you know carry carry on our study and uh, be able to somewhat help whomever you know God calls and puts in our paths that that we can share it with. So, well, thank you for letting me jump in and share with you. Nice to meet you. Are you. There was another guy. I mean, there was another guy that has the same title as your ministry here. I don't know if you're associated. Let's see if I wrote it down. Um, it's called Gideon Warrior Network, but it's another group. You know, a guy named Bob Riswold, Bob Griffin World. No, I've never heard the name. Uh -uh. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. It is interesting uh, that we both chose uh, chose that. But uh, no, they're I, super I, hyper. They're pro is pro Zionist. You know, but you're they're not pro Zionist. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that, praise the Lord. Then he gave me what I needed to be the anti to the thesis. <laughs> uh huh. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I selected it kind of, uh, it, it has to do, uh, the GWN has to do with uh, something personal, and uh, I just kind of wanted to remember, and I thought, you know, I, I always thought of Gideon and, and how he cried out to the Lord and said, where's all the miracles, and God said, hey, Go over there and yeah, and this your strength. And he's like, huh? What? Uh, I I don't get it. Well, the strength was he knew about the miracles and he knew where they came from. And um, you know, it's one of those subtleties that uh, you know people rarely catch on to. And so I I always thought about Gideon, and it just hit me one night when I was thinking about starting something, and and so I said, Gideon Warrior Network, uh, GWN, and um, so. Um, that's that's what I decided on, and and that's what it's been for a couple of years. So, yeah, they'll probably someday down the line, uh, you know, uh, start you know saying I'm infringing upon them or something, and and uh, require me to change my name or something. And I'll say, no, you go spit. I generated mine myself for my own reason. It has nothing to do with you. So, but I was going to say one more thing before I go. Um, 
the Lord is bringing a lot of expose about Talmudic Judaism right now, about the Kabbalah, what, what they really yeah. believe, because the church world, as we call it, they think that the Jews and Judaism, they, they think they follow the Torah, the you know, Moses, they don't. In fact, I heard just today that like 70% of Israel over there in the land, natural Israel over there, uh, they don't even go to, they're not religious at all, they're atheists. Um, and then you have Kabad Lubavitch Judaism, and it's totally based off Talmud. And in their literature of the Talmuds, they, their God is the serpent. I don't know if you'd heard that. Well, you know, I'm doing this. Yeah, I'm doing a study, and, and you know, we've addressed this whole thing uh, okay. with, um, uh, you know, we've addressed certain parts of that. But one thing that I, you know, was trying to address it one more time and, and try to, but one thing about the whole thing is that you will find serpent and serpent worship throughout all of the religions of the world, yeah. including yeah. those still in existence today. Yeah. And so it should not surprise us, it should not surprise us at all, that the only one today that doesn't, per se, is Christianity. However, they have made a serpent a boogeyman. And, um, you know, that is the, the thing that we addressed one time in a fellowship, and when you do that, you know, it has a way of, you know, a lot of people have been misled by a lot of stuff. And, and so it's a real touchy subject because it's something that we were all brought up under, you know. Uh, and, you say they, they, how did they do it? You cut out. I say, you know, the church, the church world, you know, for years has, you know, made the boogeyman of Satan and hell and the devil and, you know, all of this stuff that has, really not been properly grounded in foundation in the word. And so as you begin to study it out, study the words out, study the Hebrew words out and where their usage is in the Bible and so forth. Uh, so I kind of segued from your whole thought about, you know, snake, serpent worship and, and stuff to really, you know, the only true religion that doesn't have, you know, a serpent somehow involved would be Christianity. But, it actually does, and that, again, is once again probably largely because of the involvement of Jews with the translation that occurred back in, you know, what, 14, well, the Council of Nicaea would be one area, and then certainly when we got the printing presses, that would be the other area, you know, that, um, that they, they were involved in the translations, and subsequently being involved in the translations, it has, you know, resulted in things being put in the scriptures and word usages being used in large part in my belief to once again deceive and to in essence get us to believe and affix our eyes and our thoughts upon things that, you know, we are not to. And, uh, and yet, you know, Christianity is, you know, the whole Satan doctrine and and devil and everything has gotten so out of hand because it's not the way it's it's really conveyed in the scriptures properly. Even if we could assume that the translations were correct that we have, 
I believe they did them in, in, in some respects. They did things so as to further deceive and to draw us into, you know, some of their own ilk and thinking, which is, you know, serpent thinking. And, um, you know, think about it this way. How many people do you know, you know, live life thinking that there's a literal Satan that's that's out there, you know, plaguing them daily as opposed to just recognizing works of the flesh and what it is that evil people do and that those who practice evil desire to do in terms of control. So I don't want to get heavily into the subject because then the first thing that somebody says is, oh, well, you don't believe in Satan. Oh, you don't believe in the devil. Well, no, not as some superhuman, uh, you know, being that that is, is in control. I believe the scripture says there's only one God and he's in control. And he's the God of the world. I, I don't subscribe to what we've been taught to believe. Now, maybe we still have some understandings that, that you know, direct us to understand and not to be deceived that there are, you know, uh, spiritual forces that emanate through spiritually wicked hearts and spiritually wicked activities of you know, all throughout the creation of man, uh, clearly you can you can look out your window or look down, you know, talk to, you know, 10 people and, and see that you've come across somebody that's truly wicked and has wicked thoughts and wicked ideas and wicked machinations about him. And so I think there's something more that has to be learned. And so we've touched on those subjects. We've dug into them. We've dug into the words, to the definitions. And we've found in many instances it's not the way we've been taught to believe. Um, so like I say, just because we say that or that I've said something to you like this, you know, if somebody's going to cast me out and say, well, that guy believes this without further understanding where I'm coming from or why I'm, you know, conveying what I'm conveying. Um, and then, you know, seek to get on the proper page. And that likewise means that if somebody's got something that they, you know, feel that they can share with me that will help me to, you know, further understanding, you know, by all means, I'll take it into consideration. But I'm no longer going to be led by, doctrine just for the sake of and just because of so um i it's uh you know the whole thing i don't want my children and their children to be misled and i want them to be grounded in proper foundation and stuff too and i don't want to be misled by somebody else telling me once again things that i have clearly learned are not biblical so it's one of those stages that you go through where, you know, if people will just be open with one another and keep learning and keep digging instead of casting dispersion and throwing a blanket over you and, and you know, rolling you up and throwing you out with the trash, then, you know, we can probably get somewhere and, and we can help each other and we can learn. 
what is to be learned, you know, but it's... Um, I gave you so a... I'm sorry, I gave oh, you a... I, I, yeah, I see it. I see it. I see it in the chat. Um, I sent that out to a few people, <clears throat> churchgoers, no response. But the, <laughs> the, one of the things I point out in there that their leaders, their blind guides leading the blind, they, they have no, they don't warn the people what's coming because it doesn't sell. You know, they, they want people comfy. Just like Jeremiah 23, where the false false leaders would not turn the people from the evil of their ways, the evil of their doings, the flesh, basically. Um, this is why Paul really cries out about how their God is their belly. They mind earthly things. It's, it's actually a philosophy, I, I guess, in the first century. But, but we're seeing that really prevalent, that they talk about God, but they don't tell people you have to love Jesus above everything, everyone. Otherwise, you cannot be his disciple, you know. So, anyway. And he said, if you love me, and he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, listen, and, that sounds good. I appreciate you taking the opportunity to stop in on us as well. And, Esther, I know you're still hanging in there. And so, both you guys, just thank you. And we'll... Uh, shut this audio down and shut this down now and okay and we'll uh if you we do it every tuesday night so you're welcome and uh glad you found us and feel free to pass it on and we'll uh look forward to some more fellowship thank you doug bye now all right you guys good night good night esther you got any more questions for me esther or you want to sign off for tonight uh, i i don't i'll just sign out for tonight all right, sounds I'll good. See you later. All right, well, sounds good, brother. Good night. Bye.